When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel joined by Bruce Feldman on Selection Sunday for college football. We are recording this pretty shortly after the playoff field has been announced. We're not waiting on um, the full top 25, Bruce. Um, There was about 18 hours of manufactured drama that Alabama might sneak its way into this thing. But at the end of the day, uh, the committee did what I thought they would. I wasn't entirely sure how they would order three and four, but we've got number one, Georgia against number four, Ohio State at the Peach Bowl in prime time on New Year's Eve. The Undercard, if you will, uh, though it's still going to be a great game, is number two, Michigan against number three, TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Do you have any qualms, questions about how that came together? I don't because the number five team is Alabama. And, you know, as they watch the show, uh, ESPN had reporters all over the key sites. And then Marty Smith, I think, is in Tuscaloosa. And he was basically, it sounded like, had, you know, Nick Saban talking points. And there were, you know, Nick Saban had talked about, well, there was, they had lost two games basically on the last play, no no blowout losses. And I just remember thinking, well, you lost two games on the on the la- basically on the last play, but you also won a game against a terrible Texas A&M team on the last play too, and you barely survived Texas. And by the way, that was actually your best win. Whereas Ohio State, you know, winning at Penn State is better than anything te- Alabama has on a resume. Also, Alabama has two losses. Ohio yeah. State has won. I'm sorry. I know I know they got drilled at home by Michigan in a game that was tight until the second half, and then they got dominated in the second half. I, I get that. But two losses versus one, it'd be different if somewhere in Alabama's resume they had a win over Georgia or Tennessee. They don't. They just – I mean, that what's their, their best win over an SEC team is nothing. So – they didn't have an argument as far as it, I, it, no matter where Nick Saban popped up. They did not have an argument. It was manufactured drama. I mean, it didn't make any sense to me why we were even talking about it. Cause like you said, like they've, they've yet to put a two loss team over a one loss team. And, and if they were going to do that, that, like you said, that two loss team would have to have some decent wins. Um, and, and when people were even, you know, right after TCU lost, there was a, uh, like, I don't, I don't actually think anybody thought they would put Alabama in over Ohio state. Right. The question was TCU because they lost. And I'm they thinking lost in, they lost in overtime to a team they'd already beaten. By the way, TCU's not like Alabama has better wins over them. No, they? I mean, literally, they have a common the, the highest ranked team. Well, we haven't seen the final rankings, but I assume the highest ranked team Alabama will have beaten is Texas. TCU also beat Texas, uh, controlled the game, a phrase that they love to use much more than Alabama did. And then they have a better win on top of that in Kansas State. So it was never, to me, it was never a, even a thing. I just think that we're so conditioned to 
you lose, you drop. You know, the, the notion that TCU would lose and not drop probably seems a little bit foreign, but there's not a better option. Now, USC definitely dropped, um, and we can That's talk sure. about that. You know, they that was their second loss, and it was a bad, bad loss. So, you know, all we have as of this recording is the top six, and they're not in it. So they dropped at least three spots. So it's not like you can't get punished um, for getting blown out in your conference title game, but clearly they felt like TCU. Uh, in fact, I just heard Boo Corrigan's comments. Do you remember, I think it was after the first one of these they did, they dinged TCU for their defense, and they said that they weren't necessarily a, com- a balanced enough team. And he made a point of saying, like, that got better. And it did. I mean, TCU's defense got a lot better down the stretch of the season. Um, I mean, the reality too is that Kansas State is probably going to, where they're going to be ranked eighth. You know, they're going to be in the top 10. They beat them. I know. And then they lost to them in overtime. It's hard to beat a really good team twice, but they did beat them. And that win is, is better than their Texas win. And I think, you know, it's worth noting they beat Texas at Texas too, just like Alabama did. So it's yeah. like, um, and I think they were more impressive in how they did it, quite honestly. In this silly circular situation system we've invented, TCU, by losing to Kansas State, turned that into a better win for themselves because Kansas State moves into the top 10. Um, let's talk for a second. We were both at the Pac-12 title game Friday night. Um, first of all, having covered a few of those games at Levi stadium where they would literally tarp off the upper deck, it was really something that environment, the sold out crowd, they were loud. Both fan bases were loud and it started out as, okay, this is going to be the Caleb Williams coronation, right? He, um, throws a 50 yard, uh, pass off his back foot. He had that crazy run where he. Uh, spun off a guy um, and and so on and so forth. They got up 17-3, but he hurt himself. And it wasn't clear at first to most people, certainly watching on TV or maybe even in the stadium, what exactly he hurt. But I was texting with you. You were down the sideline. You knew immediately what it happened. Yeah, it was that long run. It was uh, was up. It was basically towards the USC sideline. And I was at the time I was standing right in the back of the end zone watching everything from that view with Yogi Roth. And you could see like something at the end of the run was off. And then he ended up sliding really awkwardly. And it was the kind of slide. The only time you see that in a game is late, late in the game when a team is, when the player is trying not to go out of bounds. Right. Caleb, if he was going to end the play, could have easily just run out of bounds. Instead, he slides awkwardly. And actually like the defender kind of comes on top of him, which only probably made it worse. And then, you know, they were deep inside TCU's territory. So then they got within inside the five. And I don't, you know, there were a couple of plays where you watched him and he was not moving the same. Right. And so then I remember, you know, and I wasn't working with the broadcast crew in that game. I was really, I was there with my family and I was there to see, you know, see a lot of people. Um, but I did tweet out Caleb's going in the injury tent and people were like, oh, because there's blood on his hand. And I was like, he's not moving the same, you know? Yeah. And then I, you know, I think I, you know, and I'm not listening to the broadcast any, you know, like, cause I'm just down there, but I think you and I were texting and I'm like, no, there's some, something's wrong with his leg. And you, you know, the, just from the field, you could see it. And I was near the sideline, you could see it. And then it became obvious in this, you know, to everybody, I guess, in the second half. And you, oh, even realized, before that, even before yeah. that, I mean, yeah. suddenly he was taking sacks that where normally he would scramble out of there. And 
you know, after the he game. Can't he can't move. Really... I mean, he's yeah. obviously got a terrific arm still, but if he can't move, that is a difference for USC. And then he's basically a sitting duck back there for a defense that is really going to go after him, which they did. And the thing that struck to, struck me is it felt very similar to the game I was at a week before in Columbus, where you felt like the team with the more explosive offense sh- was about to blow it open. They should have probably blown it open, and they didn't. And the tough and the tougher team hung around and kept it tight. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, and the other team, the more I don't know if it was the more dynamic team, broke. You know, they just flat broke, and the more physical team, and you saw it with two things that I think, you know, kind of came home to roost in Las Vegas, which were the biggest concerns that I always felt with USC was why they were, I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team going into the year. And I revised that as we got close to the end of the year, but was one, their offensive line, just didn't think it was good enough. And two, their defense was still a mess. And what you saw was, guys trying to tackle to get the football out and they weren't tackling. I mean, they just, they, they made or uh, Utah's runners look like Derrick Henry and they're good runners, but they're not Derrick Henry. And I just thought it, it exposed USC's defense, which had been hanging kind of by a thread because of the turnovers it can commit. And they had a couple of gifts in there along the way, but that was the thing that exposed this team's defense and when Caleb's not Superman and he couldn't be from like the, the last three quarters, USC was just kind of gutted. I mean, credit to Utah. This is back-to-back Pac-12 titles for them, back-to-back Rose Bowl trips. Um, of course, it means the Pac-12 missed the playoff again six years in a row because they just, you know, and they this year was a great year for the Pac-12. They had about uh, six of the top 17 teams going to the final rankings, but nobody could just rise up and go 12 and one. And I think that is a product of the fact that uh, those teams don't have good defenses and USC's was, was particularly bad. I mean, Utah was playing uh, Jaquindon Jackson, who, you know, was recruited as a quarterback at running back because they're down uh, Tavian Thomas. He busts that long play at the end where they just didn't really try to tackle. It was kind of tackle optional. So Andy Staples was there with us or with me, with me in the press box wrote a pretty, I thought um, apt column about is Lincoln Riley ever going to field a good defense? I mean, it was like watching one of his Oklahoma teams, right? Where you got the superstar quarterback and they will be able to win most of their games by outscoring the other team. But then they run into someone where you can't do that. And uh, I believe the defense was ranked 114th in the country after this performance. So do you, but the question is like, this was his first year at USC. And frankly, I don't think any of us expected them to have a good defense. You and I didn't expect them to even be in the mix for the playoff because the defense was going to be so bad. So I think just because he flipped their offense so drastically didn't necessarily mean he was going to be able to do the same on defense. Do you give him a pass or is it time to say, you know, this guy is a phenomenal offensive coach. Uh, He obviously did a great job getting all those high profile transfers in. But we just what when is he ever going to field a great defense? I think you I think you got to give him a pass. It's year one. They went from a team that was like what four and eight to um to eleven and two, right? So I think we all like last year's defense, and you and I talked about this a bunch, was the worst defense in USC history. And so while they added Mar, you know, um Mario Williams and Addison and Caleb and Travis Dye. 
they didn't really add anybody of major consequence on defense. They added guys who, who went to big schools who were not key players at Alabama or Auburn, or really, you know, they had a cornerback who wasn't the better cornerback at Colorado. It's like they sprinkled in, you know, Eric Gentry is a, is a, is a promising player, but it's not like they didn't add anything close to, you know, the four or five guys added on offense at skill positions. You know, we're, we're arguably, in Caleb's case, I think is the most talented player at his position. I think Addison won the Bolitnikoff. You know, Mario Williams is a special player. And Travis Dye was ultra productive. They didn't add anything close to that on defense. So if and when they do add some of those guys on defense, then I think they have more of a chance. But I think, you know, you've seen teams with high-powered offenses still win national titles. I mean, LSU for a while did not have a great defense the year they won uh, Coach O's year, you know, and they gave up a lot of points mid-year, a lot of points and yards mid-year, but they had some difference makers on that defense, right? I mean, they, they had some talent. It wasn't across the board. Patrick Queen turned out to be a big playmaker. They had some athletes. USC just doesn't have that on the, you know, like no. Pelotu is a really is a solid defensive lineman who made a bunch of plays, but they, you know, in the back, their linebackers are really, really shaky. And their secondary needs major work. And I think until they upgrade the talent level there, then we're going to see more of these big 12, circa big 12 games. But I don't think you can, I don't think you can. You know, this is year one for Lincoln Riley. He's got to, they got to recruit way better and they got to get guys out of the portal to help them on defense. Cause right now, you know, they can be a really good Pac 12 team, but you're, you know, I just think they're, they're, they're not fighting the same kind of battle as Michigan, Georgia um, certainly are when at the top and certainly Alabama and those schools. Okay. Speaking of those schools, um, We've got Georgia, who you know gave up a lot of passing yards to LSU, but we're never it was never really it was in garbage doubt. time though. Like I, yeah, you know, they, they won fifty to fire more than me, but it was like you know, yeah, that game was was, this, was was a blowout at that point. It was mostly Georgia reminding everybody how powerful Georgia is. Brock Bowers doing his thing, Stetson Bennett doing his thing. So they won. They hung fifty on LSU in the SEC championship game. I noted the symmetry of they opened the season in Atlanta putting up 49 on Oregon. They ended it in Atlanta, putting up 50 on uh, LSU. And now they're going to play another game in that stadium. It's their, def- it's uh, become their, like um, how like Alabama used to play games at Legion field. They play a bunch of games at Mercedes Benz. Um, Michigan also took care of business against Purdue. Uh, this is the first time since 2010 that two power five teams have both where we have like this would have been a great year for the BCS, right? Just Michigan versus Georgia, the undefeated teams, um, like Alabama, Auburn, and I'm sorry, Oregon, Auburn that year. Can I stop you on that? I, I, I agree with what you said in premise. Um, I would rather maybe this is a stupid thing to say because maybe it's like no duh, but I would rather have this four team playoff than if it was. Um, just Michigan, Georgia, where it's like the, these are two of the clear teams, and occasionally it breaks this way. Um, right. No, I'm not am, advocating to go back to the BCS. No, no. But like just saying that, I, I am, you know, look, maybe Ohio State will look like Ohio State did against Michigan the last two years, especially in Columbus. 
and Georgia will will smash them. Maybe they will. I always feel like when you were that, and Lord knows they better have a chip on their shoulder after after the last week and a half. But I feel like they have a puncher's chance because they, like last year, Alabama in the SEC title game beat a beat a, a loaded Georgia defense, right? And their quarterback's really good. The receivers are really good. I mean, I don't know how healthy um, Ohio State skill guys will be by that point. Like, and I'm not saying they'll, you know, it's like, I don't know. We, I don't think we give Georgia's offense enough credit, not you, but like as a group, just because I think we've, we've talked so much about all the talent they have on that side of the ball. And it's taken a while for, you know, people will never, they'll like Stetson Bennett, they'll never love him, um, which is un, which is unfair to him, I think. Um, but I love the idea that we're getting Ohio State, Georgia, right? I think... What percent chance would you give Ohio State to win that game? Uh, you're right; it's a great matchup. I, I just I wish the team playing Georgia to justify to to have. If you're gonna have a 14 field. You want Jackson least, to fly out there too? Well, that would be nice, but that doesn't sound like that's gonna happen. No, I'm just saying. Like, I have mixed feelings because it is a great it is a great matchup, but Ohio State kind of backed its way into it. Um, I give Ohio State. I mean, in some ways, it reminds me of the the first playoff, right? Ohio State with yeah. Cardell Jones gets in as a four seed. But the thing is, you know, like the last couple of years, the last several years, the four seed was a team that you're like, oh, Cincinnati, congrats on making it. They're never going to beat Alabama. They also right? didn't back. That group did not back in. Ezekiel no, they earned it. Yeah. Oh, the Ezekiel Ohio State team. Was like, wasn't even all conference. And he had like a thousand yards in the postseason between um wisconsin play title game and then the playoff games and so you know maybe travion henderson will run with a huge chip on his shoulder you know i i don't know but like give me a percent chance georgia ohio state ohio state to pull the upside i will give ohio state a 33 percent chance what would you do i thought you were going to say 25 percent um i like i you know what i, I i'm I, I'm leaning towards where you are. I was going to say 25%, but I give them a, a around 30% chance to win. I, I might, I mean, I consider going as high as 40 because again, this is not, this is not a case where one team is so town more talented than the other. I mean, don't get me wrong. Georgia is loaded, but Ohio state is going to put a bunch of dudes into the NFL. They just, to me, and it's strange to say this about a team that only lost one game. They kind of underachieved. They didn't, they never just felt like a finished product. And that's where what makes these playoff games unique is they have four weeks and, and, and to, to fix things. You know, whatever, they, whatever went wrong against Michigan on defense, you have four weeks to address that. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud hasn't always been crisp. He's got four weeks or three, I guess, 15 practices to, to, to work on that. So... And and that's why I brought up the 2014 comparison. That Ohio State team, nobody believed in them because they were kind of all over the map during the regular season. But he Urban had them peaking at the right time. You know, if Ryan Day um, can get something straightened out, and you know you have C, you know you have CJ Stroud, you you have um, I don't know could Travion Henderson be back at that point? Like you have a chance to get healthy, and you have a chance for young players to rise up. Do you remember the year Clemson? stomped Alabama in the national title game. 
Justin Ross was a freshman who had not really had much of an impact. And then all of a sudden in the playoff, he took off and Dabo Swinney saying like that, those weeks of practice made a big difference. So that's where Ohio state has a chance, but I think Georgia is the class of the season. I mean, the, the season they've had, they've dominated pretty much every week. Some people bring up the, I mean, there was the Missouri game. They needed to pull that out at the end, but, um, and, and to your point, I mean, it's not just the defense. It's not just Jalen Carter and those guys. Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback. Brock Bowers is an unbelievable, unbelievably hard uh, matchup. The offensive line is really good. The running backs are really good. So I, I, it's going to be, it's a tough one for Ohio State, but everybody's going to be watching that game. It's just a, such a, you know, such a glamour game. Um, my question is, so Michigan went 13-0. Number two team, um, frankly, took care of business every single week. The Illinois game was the only one that was close. Can Michigan win the national championship? And the reason I put it that way is I think until they prove otherwise, you're going to have the image in the back of your mind, I know I do, of them getting to the playoff last year and getting just stomped by Georgia. You know, I think that that as, as great a season as they've had, I don't think they are on Georgia's level. Is that me underestimating them or being realistic? Um, I think it's, I think it's you being realistic. You know, I, I would not. Michigan is a different team than last year offensively for two things. One, their, their receiving room has got a lot more depth than it had last year. Um, the other thing, and their offensive line was really, really good last year. It was the best line in the country. I think it's even better this year because the center is better. He came from Virginia. But I also think the dimension J.J. is bringing, I'll say this about him. He has a ton of confidence. Like, and, you know, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the, the Biff story. J.J.'s quote that he had given me, I just remember thinking, if this story is, if this was in itself, this is bulletin board material, but it was like, it wasn't buried, but it was at the end of my, it was the kicker to my story about like, yeah, now that, you know, now that we figured out how to beat them, we're just going to be kicking their butts from, from here on in or whatever. And it's basically what happened then, you know, last, you know, last week. But I think you see a guy who is just, man, he's, he does have a lot of confidence. He has a lot of ability you know, maybe you said, and this is not the same thing because it's Justin Ross, you know, compared to a quarterback who started the whole year, but maybe this is the guy who has grown through this. Like they need, they don't need him to be, um, you know, to, to, I'm trying to think for, for him to be Caleb, you know, but they, they need him to be more than what they've had because, you know, they're going to, they have some, like, it's, there's a lot of good tight ends in this game going to be, you know, in this game, I shouldn't say that they have not played, they're not playing Georgia yet or whatever, but like they, they have really good tight ends. They have really good blocking tight ends. They use tight ends. And I think they're a hard team to match up with, you know, now, now I think Georgia is built to match up with them. That's the problem for them. You know, they're the, they're the, maybe the one team that's not not like wired to be a spread team. Whereas they are, you know, I wrote a lot about this. 
that that's how Jim Harbaugh recast this team in the last two years. And I think you see it and it's come to fruition, but again, the receiving room is better and no doubt like JJ is a, a legit dual threat. Sometimes teams match up differently than each other. And so even though Ohio Michigan beat Ohio state soundly, you know, you might just say, well, Michigan has a better chance to beat Georgia than Ohio state does. I don't think so because of this Michigan is a bad matchup for Ohio state because Michigan is just flat out tougher than them. And they out toughed them that day, just like they did last year, but nobody's going to out tough Georgia. I just don't see that happening. So the way you're going to beat Georgia is the way Alabama did in last year's SEC title game. CJ Stroud catches fire. Um, you, you know, how many times in that game did Bryce Young and Jamison Williams connect on deep plays and Ohio state has that ability. So I have an easier time seeing Ohio state pull that upset than Michigan pull that upset, even though Michigan has absolutely earned, you know, the right to, uh, not play them till the national championship. All right. You want to talk about TCU? I do, you know, like I've been around this program for a while and I saw what I thought was Max Duggan at his best when he was a freshman and they beat Texas and Sam Ellinger. And I felt like that was the impression I've always had of him where you kind of just, you know, maybe you're seeing things that maybe aren't always there. Um, he w- really wasn't the guy as the, as the starter for them, Chandler Morris, who had, had had some big moments and, but Max Duggan, man, it's like, you talk to coaches who faced him in the big 12. They're like, I almost think he'd like to be a single wing quarterback. Yeah. He just loves to run. And when they get down, Late in games, I saw this at at TC at at uh, Waco against Baylor, and we saw it yesterday against K State. Um, you know, you're like, this guy can't even breathe, and he's running over people, and he's just like, I don't know. I I feel like a lot he of ways, is a warrior. He, he really is, is. He is he is Tim Tebow in purple. You know, like like that kind of thing. You know, I feel like. You know, and I'm not saying he's he's like I don't want to, I don't want this to sound like I'm disparaging Tebow. I think on the field there's a lot of Tebow in him. You know, where he's think, just maybe a little faster than Tebow, not quite as big, but I think that's the same where he just he's he's at his best when he's running. He can hit some big plays because he's got you know I mean there were a couple of good go balls he threw to Quentin Johnston, but for the most part. I mean, I think he's the most dangerous when it's like, let it be single wing and let him let him run over people or run through people. I think I get what you're saying. I mean, in terms of like the having kind of the Tebow spirit, uh, I can't really compare them football wise just because, I mean, they just ran Tebow like crazy. And, you know, statistically, he was a good passer. We didn't um, we don't think of him as a passer in hindsight. I mean, TCU's offense this year was all about the deep ball. Um, you know, even in that game the other night, just that's kind of how they, they you know, came back. Um, but I'll tell you what, that drive, the Max Duggan, the drive to uh, send the game to overtime was amazing. I mean, everything he did on that. And like you said, at that point, he was clearly in, in major, major pain. You know, hats off to Sonny Dykes on this entire season. I do wish Sonny Dykes had given, had let Max Duggan sneak in and try to sneak. By the uh, way, should we talk about this? Like the, the first call, like 
the thing was, I don't know, four inches away from the goal line. And then the next play, like, did it not it's, look like, like the, that they kind of got screwed a little bit on the officiating? Not on the fourth down. He didn't come close. You're talking no, about the third down? on the fourth down. On the, the Duggan run where it, they mark him at the one. And I know in the broadcast they were talking about, well, can you, can in the timeout, because CCU called the timeout, can they, uh, you know, move the spot where, where it looks like it should be? And then there was a Kendra Miller run, I think, on third down. I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. It was definitely a close call. They definitely spent a lot of time reviewing that. I just, as soon as, so they run it on third down, um, they don't get it. Now it's fourth down, and Sonny Dykes, you know, is not going to kick a field goal that close in. He explained that after the game. Okay, fine. How do you not have your best player, your heart and soul player, try to sneak it in? As soon as he went to hand it off to Kendry Miller, I was like, he's not getting in. I mean, they just stuffed him. He's not going to get in now. And so they lose the game, um, which, look, at the end of the day, it didn't affect their playoff standing at all. But they'd sure rather have a Big 12 championship than not have a Big 12 championship. Um, can I pat myself on the back for just a second for picking Kansas State to win the Big 12 in the preseason? No, you cannot, still. No, you cannot. I nailed that, and I nailed Oklahoma. I did not nail TCU in Texas. Um what chance you played the percentage game? What chance do you give TCU against Michigan? Uh, I give them a 20% chance. I'm there with you. And so, of course, that will stir up the, well, Alabama wouldn't have a 20% chance. So why are we putting in the team that, that Alabama they- lost two games? Sorry. Saban even pulled it. I, I was thinking of you when Saban pulled out the, I think, you know, look at who would be favored. Are well, why play the game? You hate that. Why you hate that. Games? Exactly. I, play the I mean, game. they've been Alabama's been favored in almost every game they've played for the last 12 years. If you're going to do that, yeah, just just fast forward straight from National Signing Day to the to the playoff, right? Um, yeah, it's it's. Can we uh, before we leave on TCU? Yeah, I know we're not supposed to say what our Heisman ballots are. Um, is Max Duggan on yours? He's been on mine for for weeks. Well, you're the one you're going to turn in, the one that matters. I'm not allowed to say that, I, but let me say this. Right. You don't have to say that. If is he, anybody with red hair on your Heisman ballot? <laughs> Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman, whether I vote for him or not, whether you vote for him or not. If Max Duggan is not the runner-up, we're doing this wrong. I mean, I have a feeling that because TCU is not a brand-name team, that people don't watch them nearly as much as they watch Ohio State, that C.J. Stroud is going to be the runner-up. And that would be... I almost said it. I almost. I don't. I don't even know what word I would use for that. Um, that would be so frustrating to me because I think Max Duggan earned it. Not that C.J. Stroud isn't a great player, but you know, in his biggest game of the season, he lost. Um, he had a couple pretty shaky performances. I just think Max Duggan earned that. What Max Duggan, who by the way probably did not get one vote in our or was not picked up in our Heisman fantasy draft at the beginning of the year. I'm almost positive. Nobody picked him. Well, remember, he wasn't even sure to be the starter. That's true. Of all the picks who who we drudged up. Um, so. Um, okay, let's turn our attention to another. I mean, it kind of got overshadowed by. Um, it kind of got over. It didn't quite. It got completely overshadowed by the playoff situation. Colorado has hired Deion Sanders. This did not get, I don't know what world you're living. This did not get overshadowed on Saturday. 
this was like to me this was like a bigger story than almost anything that was going on now granted it is to you and me i I don't i think you're talking on i mean this it finally became official on saturday night during the big 10 title game so no i don't think it got nearly the mileage it would have if it was announced on a monday morning as we're recording this we're they haven't had the actual ceremony or whatever you want to call it in colorado i think it'll be a quite a spectacle today uh we were reporting that dion is actually meeting with his staff now or that the staff is is meeting with him in boulder um it sounds like though he had spent the whole week um built you know starting to make calls about a staff like i think it's more than that Stu. to be honest yeah i mean he this thing has been in the works for before that so but when do you think he officially accepted the job officially i think when he told them uh, when he told his team, I think then there was a green light before that. I think see you folks. My guess is, um, my hunch is it's been trending in the right direction for a good 10 days. Um, oh, I think you're right. I, I, it was, I was saying to somebody last night, this is the strangest situation where everybody knows it's happening, but nobody can come out and definitively report he's taking the job because he has because it's Deion Sanders and you always wonder well something big it's one it's Deion Sanders and two because there's always the thought that that something a lot bigger and seemingly better than Colorado is going to entice him away because to me like and I wrote this in this this uh story I had with uh Mike McCartney Bill McCartney's son he was the only coach who won a national title there and he's still really connected there. And one of the issues at Colorado that they have faced, and you can talk to anybody on their staff now, is it's really, really hard for them to get transfers in. And it's not just like any kind of students. There's students from really good academic programs who have high GPAs who ha- who they have not been able to get in. Um, and so the word is that Dion will be afforded a lot more flexibility in this new in this new era of CU football because we expect him to get a bunch of key transfers, some of which coming with him from Jackson State, including his son, Shador, who, you know, will be one of the best quarterbacks in FBS. Um, he's already gotten a top 20 recruit to commit from the 2025 class, who's a receiver who committed, uh, I don't know, an hour before we started taping. I mean, he will recruit really well. I would say, and Mike McCartney brought this up, you know, it was like, well, you see the impact in one year Lincoln Riley could make with the transfer portal. Now, I would think this rebuild to me um, is similar to the one Jed Fish is in the middle of right now at Arizona. Like Arizona was terrible when Jed Fish got it over. Colorado's the worst power five team. The roster is horrific. And yeah. assuming that he can get in a bunch of players, um, I think they will go from a one win kind of team to maybe a four or five or six win team next year. And then maybe we'll see. But like, because Jetfish has definitely made that team dangerous with the quarterback and receivers and some of the guys he's recruited. But like, what I had heard, you know, just, just going to Dion a little bit was he had such a talent. Uh, advantage in the swack with his team like it was almost like it was unfair compared to what he was going up against well now even if he does add a lot of really good players even Travis Hunter who was the nation's number one recruit who beat everybody to get to go to Jackson State even somebody like that is coming with him and a bunch of other guys will come from bigger programs as well 
you know, you're still going up against USC with Caleb, you know, Oregon's still very talented. Utah is still Utah. Like this is, and I'm not saying the PAC 12 is, is the SEC, but the PAC 12, like you said, is a pretty formidable conference now. And as long as USC and UCLA are still in there, which they will be at least this next year, um, that, you know, I, I think it's, it, we'll see how long it'll take for Dion to get Colorado to be a top 15 kind of team, which I think as long as he's there, I think he can do that there. Yeah. I'm not really hung up on how Colorado does next year. I, I you know, you and I both wrote columns about this. Um, look in the spring, I spent probably a month on a story about, uh, cause we were doing this series on wayward programs and I did Colorado and I was actually surprised how much, how, you know, that story kind of took off, which I was surprised by because I was like, nobody cares about Colorado football, but people of a certain, of our age, or maybe a little bit younger have a nostalgia for the nine Colorado in the nineties, late eighties and nineties was one of the best programs in the country. Um, I think you made a little bit older, not a little bit younger. I'm saying you don't have to be as old as us to remember the uh, 90s Colorado teams. Look, I don't think Max Olsen remembers the Colorado teams. Let's see. The, the last that really. 35, that was 35 years. They won a national. 25. Title. They won a yeah. national title 32 years ago. Right. But they were still pretty nationally relevant into the into the mid 90s. Even they won Gary Barnett team, right? That, that, almost, uh, that almost made the BCS title game. But when they were like at their peak, when they were putting out, you know, Alfred Williams and obviously Cordell Stewart, Rashawn Salam. And, but I think more of like the defenses, which is Matt Russell, um, they were, you know, and the, and so to go from that to, they've had two winning seasons in the last 16 years, 17. And uh, one of them was, years. one of them was the COVID shortened years. Right. So I'm not sure we'd really fair to count that they played six games. And so when I was interviewing former players and coaches uh, for that story in the spring, what stood out to me was the hopelessness. It like it was, you know, obviously they were upset that it's fallen as far as it was, but I would always, the last thing I'd always ask is like, what do they need to do to turn it around? And people just didn't have a great answer. Like they're not going to, you know, at that time it was like, well, they're not going to be able to compete in NIL and, you know, they don't have a natural recruiting area and, so it was just, there was just this sense of like, I don't know. I don't know what they can do. And boom, Dion called a lot of those same guys last night. They are so excited. Um, and, and I would argue he may be the one coach in America that they could have realistically gotten, right? Not Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, who you're like, oh, that, that excites, that makes me interested in Colorado football. Now, there are probably people listening to this right now who are like, what are you guys talking about? He's a clown. He does Aflac commercials. Who are these people uh, who are saying that though? I mean, yeah, they're probably right. There are probably people who are saying that, but. Because they're not like, who's paying attention to Jackson state football. You know, they know Dion as this big personality and, and so on and so forth. By the way, um, for our, for our listeners, there was some kind of movement that you just made with a big personality. There was a snap. There was a gesture. What was that? I often hold a pen while I'm talking. It's kind of a, like a nervous or like a tick, I guess, where I pull the cap on and off, on and off. But I know, I don't know. I don't know why. It was this. like kind of a snap, like a, I don't know what was going on. There. I know what you're trying to say, but it's impossible <laughs> to describe over audio. Um, what just, I think the thing that is hard to describe is the, the 
um, impact he has on young African-American males. And I have to say that um, they, so they put out this video because everything about right, Coach Prime is documented, right? There's always a video camera there. And somebody, I don't know who, put out a video of the, of the team meeting where he told the players he was leaving. I've never seen, you know, we always hear about what those meetings are like. I've never actually seen one. And it was fascinating. Uh, he, you know, he, he, you could just tell this was not the typical coach player dynamic, right? The way he talked to the players, it's, it's truly like he, he's a mentor, right? Everybody talks about being a mentor and a, and a leader, but like he truly is. And I just think he's going to be able to, like, I, I would not be surprised if a year from now, we're talking about how he's the best recruiter in college football. Who I don't you? mean like, I don't, when I say that, I don't mean like he is going to have signed, you know, Texas A&M's class from last year. You have to kind of measure it relative to the school you're at. Colorado, what are, their recruiting classes are usually in the 40s or 50s, I think. If that. I can sit here and guarantee that their next year's recruiting class will be in the top 10 to 15, maybe even higher. I'm going to read uh, Mike McCartney. My dad used to say that if we can just get him on campus, we have a great chance to sign him. I think Dion will get them on campus. I really think a lot of kids will say Colorado isn't in my top couple, but I'm so intrigued to go and meet with Dion. And when he gets them on campus, he's going to turn a lot of those guys to sign with the buffs. I absolutely agree. I, I don't know who I would have said before yesterday was the most charismatic head coach in FBS. I know who is now. I don't know who I would say like, you know, Kirby smart at the end of the day wins, you know, is like often has one, two or three. No, I don't think anybody thinks Kirby smart is charismatic. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that always doesn't win the day. Like Pete Carroll was absolutely that way. Not to the degree Dion is like Dion has a clout. And again, like Dion has a clout that almost none of these other coaches have because of, I think, the way a lot of 17, 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-olds look at him. Um, it's just different. Not to say they don't respect Nick Saban, because Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach in the history of the sport. And certainly, you know, like Lincoln Riley, people know his track record with quarterbacks. Deion Sanders' um, aura, I think, with a lot of kids and a lot of people, so that's why I was like surprised Georgia Tech didn't do everything they could have to, to make that work. I mean, I had heard Auburn like kind of kicked it around and did what they thought was their due diligence and was just not comfortable with him. And then they hired Hugh Freeze. Um, you know, it's. Think about whole... that. Let's think about that for a second. I assume the reason like I'm with you, right? We talked about early in the season. We had Dion as one of the prime candidates for Auburn. And by all accounts, none of these other power five schools really gave him serious consideration, probably because he's too different, right? He's just not in, he is the, there's nothing about him that is similar to a conventional college football coach. So Auburn didn't really give him a look. Auburn gave but, him, but what they, I understand is Auburn gave him some consideration. I think when they, from my understanding, where there was a little bit of due diligence was, how does he run his program? And I think they looked at it thinking it was too different and it was a little too much. They felt like it was unconventional. 
Um, and I don't want to get into too much more on that from what I was told, but just, um, you know, Dion's a big presence and he's a big personality in a way that typical college head coaches aren't, you know, typical college head coaches are going to kiss the ass of the big boosters and golf with them and do yeah. stuff where they're going to, you know, run on their schedule and their schedule is going to be everything for how they are. Whereas I think Dion, you know, may, may do some things that he thinks are, are the right thing at that moment, which may be a little different. And I think that made people quite un honestly uncomfortable. And I get it. But I think like for Colorado, it's a no lose situation. If he turns out to be a spectacular failure, that makes him no different than the last umpteen Colorado coaches. Right. Um, but the, the potential upside is, is fascinating. And um, he's not going to be traditional. I mean, one people who, you know, we being in the kind of attuned to the media side of it, like he, he wouldn't, he would blow off media commitments, press. He didn't show up for the press conference after they won the conference championship last night. Like, is he going to do the same thing at PAC 12 media day? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, it could be, it'll be an adventure, let's say for the people who have to cover that team every year, but it makes Colorado exciting. All right. Last thing I want to bring up the transfer portal window opens on Monday and you might be a little confused. You're like, wait a minute. I've already heard all these announcements of kids entering the portal. Grad transfers can enter at any time. So you've seen a lot of grad transfers or kids who are just announcing their intent to enter the portal. They haven't actually been able to do it yet. Uh, as you know, as crazy as last year seemed with the portal, I think this one will be 10 times nuttier because you now have, and look, the coaches wanted this. They wanted to have these compressed windows, but it means that everything's going to happen at once. Now you have collectives and the NIL. I think, um, I mean, I know there are agents who are going to, you know, not like Drew Rosenhaus, but like kind of small time middling agents who are going to kids and saying, hey, if you transfer to this school, I can get you $100,000. And so are any of these agents personally still? I know of these agents. I don't know. I'm not saying I know them personally. Um, it's just going to be completely chaotic. Just look at the quarterbacks who have already announced. Like Drew Pine, Notre Dame's starting quarterback, who went 8-2 and two as a starter, is going in the portal. Um, I don't think Cade McNamara was surprised. I don't know if there's been then too many. Cade was not a surprise. When we knew are, yeah. at the Ohio State-Michigan last week, we pretty much knew he was going to Iowa. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that. I don't know how many. Well, there, there haven't been many big surprises yet, but there's gonna be. There's gonna be guys who you would never, it would never think to you like that guy's gonna transfer. Um, Maybe even guys who have national TV commercials in the past. Who are you hinting at? Bryce Young. No. Oh, I know who you're hinting at. <laughs> we didn't even we didn't even mention that, but yeah, the Clemson. It tells you how much emphasis is on the playoff that we didn't even mention Clemson winning the ACC. Um, and of course, what stood out about that game was that Cade Klubnik came in on the third series and never came, went back out. Um, Dabo Swinney did not hesitate to say after the game that Cade's going to be going to start the bowl game. So maybe by the time you listen to this, uh, I think DJ will be in the portal. And that'll be an interesting one because. Yeah, Oregon's losing Bo Nix. Not saying he's going to go there, but Oregon's losing Bo Nix, maybe. Well, but do you, if you're a school that's looking at him, like he was the five-star recruit, um, he's talented, but man, 
he has so many stinkers over the There's last some few ups years. and downs, but also like in, you know, look, you got a new offensive coordinator in there, right? That I think that didn't help. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, his younger brother is a Uber recruit prospect. Oh yeah. You, you might bring him in just to get the brother. I, I look, I think that he's more than just that. I think He's the guy who probably needs second chances. And I think it depends on what you do with him. Um, Reminds me a little bit of Adrian Martinez. Um, he just he needs a fresh start. Um, but I, I wouldn't, if you're Oregon, who has expectations of competing for conference championships and playoffs, I just don't think you could bring him in and be like, he's our guy. Like maybe you bring him in to compete with somebody, but you just, how could you have the confidence that he's going to come in and tear it up? He could be, he could be, uh, he could be Tebow-ish. That's the second time you brought up Tim Tebow in this no, podcast. What it is, is I'm a, a guy, little surprised that you're using it in this context. A guy who, a guy who is not like, is not, um, you know, Caleb Williams or you name it, Bryce Young, seeing the field or as a passer, but like can throw the ball downfield because he can stress you in the run game. Like, I think he could be that as a running quarterback we know he's got a powerful arm i just think this is this is dj i think dj's arm is better than the other guys we're talking about right now in terms just in terms of juice in it but i think there's other things like i would not i would not write him off i'm not saying he's going to be a top five draft pick as a quarterback at some point but i think you heard you heard it here first guys dj who is ranked 67th in the country in passing efficiency one spot behind graham mertz you go ahead, why don't you go ahead and proclaim him to be next year's Michael Penix? Mm. Bo Nix. Honestly, I'm surprised you're speaking of him. In quite he, this. He, he, I look, I mean, I'm not saying he's as dynamic as, as DTR, but there was a lot of questions about guys like that. And in college, they can scale certain things down in the offense. And I think yeah. he's enough of a factor because he's a, He's a super big guy who can run over people. And I think there's some stuff he can do. Like there are certainly quarterbacks and Florida has one now where they're like the term that I started hearing like six or seven years ago was toolsy. And I think he's definitely that. And I think it's the question is like, like who is coaching him and what are they asking him to do? And I, I'm no, I'm curious as to what DJ's, and again, we weren't planning on talking about this. I'm curious what DJ's next act is going to be because there's definitely stuff to work with. It didn't work there um, for probably a variety of reasons. Um, well, look, I say all this, Jaden Daniels was not, you know. There's a lot of these guys. not tearing right? it up the last two years in college. We talked he, about Max Duggan before. Nobody was, yeah. you know, I feel like the two guys I was holding the candle out for for the last three years was Max Duggan and Adrian. Now, obviously, Max Duggan, yeah. a big year and, you know, so. No, you're right. I, I think he could walk into a situation and, and win the job. I just don't think you want to put everything on him. Like you don't like Oregon's whole season was riding on Bo Nix being uh, what he's ended up becoming. Right. There was not really a plan B. Um, you better have a plan like LSU. You saw their plan B last night. Garrett Nussmeyer, who's really talented. You need a, a situation like that. But, yeah, I just look, I we don't need to. I was I was not planning to spend all that time on this one transfer possibility. But I think it's interesting because these are the rabbit holes people are going to go down. You know, we're assuming over the next, you know, three days, Max Olson will not see his family. He'll be locked in some <laughs> portal thing. I just I just assume every team in the country is going to basically trade a quarterback. Every team in the country is going to lose 
uh, either their starter or their number two quarterback and pick up somebody else's starter or number two quarterback. And there will be like two quarterbacks that or two players that people go like, wow, that guy's still playing college football. I thought, you know, oh, there's going to be a lot of that. Like there's already been some of that, like um, somebody's going to go, wow, John Parker Wilson is still playing college football. It'll be some <laughs> random guy who is in the South. I mean, he's he was obviously a good quarterback, but somebody somebody who they've heard of, seen a little bit in games, and then he'll end up at like a Conference USA school or or a, a Sunbelt school. I mean, there's, there's, if you give me one second, I'm going to load up the list here. Um, there have been guys who've entered the portal who I was like, oh, I know who I'm thinking of. Brennan Armstrong. Okay. Brennan Armstrong was an all ACC quarterback for Virginia. I, I think maybe two years in a row, but at least last year. And then took a big step back this year uh, with the coaching change. And I'm like, wait a minute. He has more eligibility. Like to me, he he should be one of the more sought after guys in the portal. Connor Basilak, um, Basilak, you know, played for Missouri for a couple of years, played for Indiana last year. He's back in the portal. You know, uh, Jeff Sims, nah, Jeff Sims, I buy. Uh, no, I mean, the one that surprised me, I, I, he he's not going to transfer, I don't think. But like Sam Hartman has another year of eligibility after this year. That's crazy. That's crazy. But but we are. We're still dealing with super seniors. So. For at least, let's see, that was 20. I think for at least one more year, you're gonna um you're gonna have guys like that. Haynes King is in the portal. Um, these are just the guys who are officially in the portal. There's a whole bunch more portal. who I have think, declared I their intent. Hard will be one of the better quarterbacks yep. yep. in this transfer mix. I mean, Drew Pine played pretty well this year. I know that he wasn't necessarily guaranteed to win the job back next year, but uh Talking about a guy who started 10 games for Notre Dame and and won eight of them, well, you know, I would think he'd be in demand. I predict there will be a guy who is a starter for a top 15 team who everybody thinks is like the man, and I predict he will probably end up transferring someplace else, and people will go, wait a minute, why would that guy leave? Yeah, I think uh, – and, and we're just talking about quarterbacks. I mean, there's going to be star players at other positions – who you would think have no reason to leave, who are going to leave because they're going to get paid. Like those, there's, I think some of the big numbers you heard about collectives paying high school recruits last year are going to go to portal kids this year because it's just a better investment, you know, like what Jordan Addison did this year, uh, what uh, any number of guys did, like you're, this is guaranteed. You're guaranteed to have a big, uh, uh, you know, big performance versus a recruit who, who knows how long it's going to take. By the way, your alma mater lost a really a solid defensive player last year, Brandon Joseph. I mean, it wasn't like he had a huge year this year, but it's not like we saw that. And I'm not saying his was like, oh, I want to, you know, go for more money here or whatever. But I I agree with you. I think you're going to see a way more on the defensive side of the ball because it's people or people's eyes are open. I think they're very curious. You don't have once you're in the portal, you don't have to leave, by the way. Um. Correct. You can enter the portal, see who's interested, and you come back. Uh, yeah. So um, we will do a. I don't. I guess. Yeah, we are doing a second podcast this week, right? I guess so. Why not? I mean, there's going to be a lot to react to. Uh, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.